Hello and welcome to another episode of What Have We Done? A Winecast for Amateur Enthusiasts. We're excited to be here and talking about one of our favorite wines, which is the Sancerre. Um, but before we get into this particular bridal, we have a couple of fun facts. So let's lay out what we're going to talk about today. Um, it's all about the soil. Um, as you might hear fancy people who talk about fancy wines, uh, they'll mention about something about, you know, I could taste the limestone in this wine, or what is this minerality? Can you talk to me about it? And what they're pretty much talking about is the soil. The soil that the vineyard was made in, and possibly how that soil may translate into the taste of the wine. Um, and so this week, we're kind of going into what that means, whether or not there's any validity in tasting the soil in wine, uh, and also some really awesome facts about ecology and um, how vineyards kind of fit into these really wonderful ecosystems. Yeah, and of course, finishing with tasting some Sancerres and seeing if we can taste anything that we are talking about at all. Yeah, so let's get started. Um, so... A wine term that may have been thrown around, and I am not a French speaker, so maybe Kevin should say it, but terroir. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, this is a word that you might hear uh, people who are very familiar with wine talk about, and pretty much that is encompassing... Uh, terroir means the like, natural environment in which a wine is produced. So you need to think about the ecosystem at large. What is the uh, land that the vineyard's grown on? What's the climate? How's the weather? Um, are there other uh, plants or other crops that are grown near it? What ways that this wine is kind of nurtured into being? Um, and a lot of the times we think immediately of soil. Um, and I didn't really understand this until I started looking into it, but soil is very distinct from rocks and stones, which I'm not going to even go into that because <laughs> so many geologists, if you're listening, I know you are, are going to be like banging their heads against the wall that, you know, such a simple definition is not necessarily known. But soil is something, um, a ground material that has organic contact in it pretty much growing things or the potential for things to be growing. Um, and this is really important for how it can nurture a wine. Um, so when you think of plants, you think, how does a plant grow? You have water, you have sunlight for photosynthesis, and you have nutrients from the soil that are kind of sucked up by the roots. Um, something really fun and cool about wine roots are that they're pretty shallow. They don't go very deep into the ground. You may have some roots, particularly in water um, deficient areas, going deep to, in order to gain access to water. But for the most part, these awesome vine grapes are, or vine roots are extending horizontally. And for that, they are gathering a lot of the nutrients in the soil that you find in that kind of top layer. What kind of nutrients am I talking about? Um, so there are things that you usually associate with great growing things like nitrogen. But actually, wines grow better in less fertile grounds. Um, it has something to do with if you have 
a plant that's really well nurtured by nutrients. It's going to grow really fast. Um, and in wine, you don't want a lot of leaves covering your grapes because then they're not going to be um, quite as concentrated in flavor um, as us lovely wine drinkers like to enjoy. Um, let me take a breath. Anything else I should add before I like launch into types of soil because I can talk about this forever. Um, I can't think of much else. I was just talking about terroir the other night uh, with my girlfriend over a bottle of wine and she said it was, she was talking about it like it was sort of the geography of everything, kind of like you said, the ecosystem. Um, and so it was just sort of one part of that. So I'm really excited to hear, hear more about Hear more about that. <laughs> My soliloquy about soil. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bear with us. So, um, soil comes in lots of shapes and sizes. Um, you have gravel, which is like your more chopped up um, gravel-like soil. Um, and then you have finer soils like sand or silt. Um, and the ideas with knowing what kind of soil your vine is growing in is how does your vine get water? So two catchphrase words that a lot of these blog posts and um, there's a master's in wine growing and a couple of professors of geography mentioned in their posts about wine is porosity and permeability. How much water gets to the vines, vine roots and how much does it stay around the roots? Um, because plants need water. Um, if you have all gravel, the water is just going to drain really quickly. So you may have lots of access to water from the rainfall, but then it's gone pretty quick. But if you have something like clay, um, it's super, super good about holding water in and then you might get root rot. So the balance of what kind of soil you have in your vineyard is super important. Um, and in a little bit, we'll get into what kind of soil Sancerre is grown in, um, but two more quick soil facts and then maybe we'll get on to why we're all here. Um, the organic contact, content or matter around vineyards are super important as well. So plants don't grow in a vacuum, they grow in a really rich diverse setting of fungal networks, of microbes, of insects, uh, and they're all really important to the vitality of your vine. Uh, and something that fungi or fungal networks do is they bring nutrients to vines. So you also need to think when you're, if you were to plan your perfect vineyard, how to balance not only the types of soil, but what kind of other living creatures and materials uh, and organics will thrive in that soil because you want a really delicate balance between um, water access for your vine as well as um, organic matter. And the last thing to think about is when we're thinking about, oh, my vineyards are going to be on these ancient hills where like old zin is grown or these ancient vines are grown. Remember that a lot of these vineyards are being created. So while you may think about how um, a particular region is known for its gravelly soil, and that's the kind of soil that your wines are being grown in, a lot of it may have been constructed, which is not a bad thing. You want your vines to, to flourish. If you're a business person, you want to make sure that the wines you have are going to have the best possible chance. So also think about how much humans play a part in the growing of wines, not only in, you know, crushing the grapes and figuring out the varietals and making the wine itself, but in also creating the environment uh, and the ecosystems and nourishing them alongside 
these finds. So with that, that's my treatise. I should write a thesis about this, <laughs> about soil. <laughs> and uh, if you're still with us, we're going to get into Sancerre. All right. So before we jump into talking about Sancerre, we're actually going to open the first of three of Sancerre wines that we're having today. Um, this first one here is a... Let's see, it's a Moulin Jamette Sancerre from 2018. Uh, being true to the name of this wine cast, this Sancerre is a very uh, entry-level, accessible Sancerre found at Trader Joe's. Fantastic place for uh, affordable wines. This is priced under $15. And I think it's just a good classic example of um, yeah, what Sancerres are all about. So let's go ahead and pour our first taste of this and then jump right into Sancerre. Excellent. I also love how we're tasting three wines today. This is going to be a really fun... Yeah, we went all out. It shouldn't be like a, a precedent that we set. Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oof, right up front, oh, lots yeah. and lots of citrus in that nose. That is citrus and flower. Uh, pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Get a little bit of young grass. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start. A, I'm glad that this wine is cold. <laughs> Let's start there. The Sancerre is thriving with the chill. Um, you can taste that it's crisp, but you can also taste the smoothness. It's very well balanced for mm -hmm. an under $15 wine. Well done, Trader Joe's, and you for picking it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sunsets are notoriously expensive, and um, I think that really is just a, a product of the name association with it. Um, so it, it's pretty hard to find anything that's that's affordable for the average you know, wine consumer. So I think it's really important to to highlight the ones that you can find. Um, it's unfortunate there's not more in this price range. It's by far the cheapest one that I've seen um, that is a true Sancerre. Um, but even at this lower end in terms of price, I think you still taste that uh, really exciting Sancerre quality, which we're going to talk about now. Excellent. All right, so I got most of this information from uh, two places, Wine Folly, and interestingly, the Washington Post, which I think mm. in their like, food and, and culture section has uh, a good sporadic array of wine-related articles, even though they're pretty short. But um, usually you get some really good interviews with uh, great winemakers and things like that. I also want to take a moment to give a shout-out to Wine Folly, winefolly.com. Fantastic resource. They have um, a YouTube channel that's very, very informative, very, very easy to understand. Um, their website has a lot of great resources like books, uh, maps, things like that. It's just a really great place to uh, start learning about wine. It's been one of my favorites for a, for a little while now. All right, so Sancerre is a small AOP. Um, that's a protected wine area in France in the center of the Loire Valley in western France. It is one of the most famous regions in France and one of the premier areas in the world for Sauvignon Blanc. Um, although interestingly, the region also grows Pinot Noirs, which is not at all what Sancerre is known for. Huh. But excitingly enough, our third wine this afternoon is, in fact, a Pinot Noir Rosé from Sancerre. I'm excited. Um, so within Sancerre, uh, the majority of the grapes grown are going to be Sauvignon Blanc, making up 5,436 acres with only 1,532 acres of Pinot. Um, the area is part of a Paris ancient seabed uh, where ancient seashells can be found in the soil, believed to be one of the principal factors that distinguishes Sancerre from other regions growing Sauvignon Blanc. 
Um, and the 14 villages within the Sancerre Appalachian all lie on the east bank of the Loire River. And because of the distinct seasonal patterns of the region, the growing period is longer than average. Hmm. So because it's all about soil, most of this is obviously focusing on soil. So there, there's, uh, at the risk of sounding like a geology lesson here, um, there's three principal soil types within Sancerre, and those are Silex, Kimmeridgian Marl, and Oxfordian Limestone. I hope I'm wow. not butchering the pronunciation of any of these things. They don't actually seem to be French. Um, they sound like English names, but either way, Kimmeridgian, I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe we'll be able to do corrections on that one next week. Um, anyways, uh, Silex is a, a linty soil that runs in a narrow band along a fault line that passes under the town of Sancerre. And it's the least common of the three soils, representing only 15 of the soil comp composition in the area. Kimmeridgian Marl, also known as Terre Blanche, is a chalky clay soil that turns white in dry periods. Uh, and that's where we think of, often people describe those wines as, as chalky and limestone-y. I'm guessing that's where that association comes from. I'm not sure if that's just people projecting onto the, the visual aspects of the soil in Sancerre or something that's actually being tasted. We're gonna find out. Um, and lastly, we have Oxfordian limestone, which tends to be downslope from the Kimmeridgian vineyards and has larger pieces of gravel due to erosion over uh, many, many centuries. So each of these three soil types combine to mark Sancerre with very unique expressions of character. Hmm. So in the Washington Post article um, I was reading, um, they were interviewing a man named Roy Cloud, who was a managing partner of a wine import company called Vintage 59, um, based out of Washington, and he said something really interesting. This quote goes, um, Oxfordian soils give wines that are very broad, but they are delicate and perfumed. The Kimmeridgian soil yields fruitier, much more direct, pointed wines, aggressive in acidity and extremely age-worthy. Some of the top wines from a great year like 2010 can be laid down for 30 years, which is also interesting because it's always been my understanding that generally whites do not age as well um, as reds, and especially Sauvignon Blancs, they're not the hardiest and long-lasting grape um, and really shouldn't be aged for more than three or four years. So um, not that we have access to a 30-year-old Sancerre this afternoon if we're focusing <laughs> more on the Trader Joe's level. Um, that would be something to definitely look into more. And look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> one day. Um, and the, the Kimmeridgian soil is also um, a really distinctive flavor in the Chablis region, which is also a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of, um, and the Chablis region specializes in unoaked Chardonnays. Hmm. Um, so, the Sauvignon Blancs from Sancerre are often said to have very pale or deep yellow colors, aromas of ripe gooseberry, orange, lemon, mint, and acacia flower, flavors of flint and smoke, orange, orange flower, quince, mint, and honey. Uh, very, very high acidity, and that higher acidity uh, is a mark of that really heavy clay content in the soil, usually a product of the Kimmeridgian um, soil. And lastly, most Sancerres are unoaked, um, 
and again contradictory information on because they're unoaked how long they should be aged um, but yeah that's something something to we'll have a whole episode on on aging wines <laughs> I think and proper like care and storage um, at some point and then suggested food pairings for this kind of wine are going to be oysters shellfish and salmon mm. and I will say that I have had oysters with a Sancerre, and I actually splurged last time I went to go eat oysters uh, up in the North Bay, uh, north of San Francisco, and the Sancerre was absolutely perfect with it. Yeah, no, that's actually really interesting to think about. Um, so one of the other soil facts that I learned was in determining the effect of soil on the grape, you have to think about the color of the soil because a lighter soil will reflect the sun and bounce that light back onto the grapes hmm. and that will have a thermal reaction. Uh, I don't remember exactly. I believe it had something to do with just ripening the grapes, getting it more ready. Um, but if you have a darker soil, the heat gets absorbed into the ground and that provides heating at night. So hmm. um, if you have large temperature swings, the darker soil is going to hold that heat and keep your vines warm. So um, that is one of the ways in which soil plays a part in thermal regulating your vines. Absorbed into the ground and that provides heating at night. So um, if you have large temperature swings, the darker soil is going to hold that heat and keep your vines warm. I also do not know what a gooseberry is. I also don't know what a gooseberry is. And I think it's funny that multiple places I was looking um, for this information, the first thing that comes up is flavors of gooseberry. So now the question is, is gooseberry that common among wine drinkers? Or is everyone just copying and pasting from the other, like, you know, next up website? Um, because gooseberry, as far as I know, is not by any means a common berry. <laughs> but I guess we should try to find some gooseberries. I wonder if it has a different name. Like, it's Maybe. called... Oh, that's a good question. Like, blueberries. Let's look this up. Yeah, we should. Um, but while we look this up, a thing that I remembered to ask about was, do you taste soil in the wine? And that was the question I started my research dive with, but um, some of the experts I was reading about soil and wine um, suggested that since soil provides nutrients for wines and for grapes, the amount of nutrients absorbed from the ground is very low, that you it would be very hard pressed to say, this tastes like clay, um, because that kind of quality isn't necessarily going to be there in large quantities. So are our ideas about limestone um, or minerality projections of how we've recognized either the geographies or how we've kind of copy and pasted in our minds what wines are supposed to taste like and then we kind of just bring that with us. I don't know. We'll see. Let's find out. So reporting back on gooseberries, there is no other common name, at least in English. It's just a gooseberry, <laughs> All right. uh, common in pies. But here's a little, little you know, token of information here. <laughs> is a, a gooseberry bush was the 19th century slang for pubic hair. And from this comes the saying that babies are born under a gooseberry bush. There's useless information for the day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> wow. So, okay, 
we're going to not linger on that. <laughs> Let us move on to our second sunsere. Or shall we describe this one a little bit more? Well, can you taste any of the things that we just talked about, these common notes? Um, I did point out the high acidity, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I, I definitely get that. Um, not so much orange, but I do get a lot of that, the lemon um, citrus flavor. Absolutely. I'm not sure about the gooseberry. You get a little honey. Um, yeah, I'd say you get a little bit of that honey. Are you, are you tasting any of that, what we call like this minerality? It's a good question because it makes me think about like, how do you take, like, have I tasted limestone before? Um, no, but I do, um, while I may not taste the minerality, I can feel the, the crispness, not necessarily like you'll taste crispness from like a Pinot Grigio, which has its high notes of like high citrus, or that's how I thought of Pinot Grigios, but like to the, to me, this tastes almost like a, bear with me, like a waterfall over stone, like very clean, almost slaty in its material, like miner minerality. Um, so maybe I'm getting that vibe, but I don't know if it's a taste per se. How about you? There's nothing in this that, in my own mind, I, I would point to as any sort of expression of minerality. Um, and even like having had many wines I've described as like earthy, you can taste a lot of the different soil characteristics in the wine, mostly in reds. I'm just not getting anything that has that sort of natural geological expression in this wine. Yeah. Maybe let's try the second one. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of leaning into minerality as a sensation or a sensorial experience. All right, so the second one, this is a called a Romana Sancerre. It is also a 2018. Um, not much more information on that. Winemaker is Hervé Baudry. Lovely. Um, this is a slightly um, higher end Sancerre, um, although picked up from, from Total Wine. Um, it is under 30. Just in case you didn't realize, this is going to be a three-hour episode where we drink three, three <laughs> bottles of wine. Just kidding. <laughs> One, so much bouquet in this. Yeah, even more flower, less citrus. I even get the honey on the nose in this one. It's a lot more fragrant. Absolutely. A, you can see it in the color. This is definitely a little bit more lemony in color mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit more uh, cloudy in mm -hmm. a way. Uh, still crisp, a little bit fuller bodied than the last one, Absolutely. a little bit more going on here. Um, not too different in, in the characteristics I'm tasting, but I think the development of those characteristics is a lot more, a lot more robust. Mm -hmm. uh, and that honey that I was smelling, I'm also tasting really, really strongly. I had this honey a while ago, it was this like honey, this locally grown like honey made with like lavender in it. Mm. I get a lot of that. Um, these really strong like um, perfumey types of flowery uh, notes both in the aroma mm -hmm. and in the taste. Yeah, absolutely. You 
maybe I'm projecting mint because that was on your list, but mm -hmm. I can get that, the way that mint is fresh, that freshness mm -hmm. from the herbs. Um, these aren't dried herbs by any means. No, these are herbs picked herbs, straight yeah. from the garden or from a meadow. Hmm. From a forest. Really yeah, this is really <laughs> lovely. Um, and the sweetness, because it is a little sweet, but mm -hmm. it's not sweet. Um, right. It is... The, I, I don't know if you would call it residual sugars, but they, they sit on the tongue in a way that isn't unpleasant. It's just yeah. a little bit heavier. I think it gives it the weight. The other thing about Sanser and why we're doing this so early in this podcast, uh, not just because it's one of the more famous uh, expressions of Sauvignon Blanc, uh, but also growing up, uh, my grandmother was a huge Sanser fan. Hmm. And I didn't quite realize what that meant. All I knew is that all the bottles, which she asked me to go pour another glass of wine in the refrigerator, were all labeled Sanser. Um, and she always had a Sanser on hand and we would have them year-round. So I associate this type of Sauvignon Blanc, um, this French Sauvignon Blanc, with you know enough sweetness and, and crispness and acidity that you want to have it on a hot day with enough like body and flavor and texture that it's pretty much good um, you know, as a before-dinner wine year-round. And it has a bit of a nostalgic characteristic for me as well. Oh, man, now that you mention it, uh, I, I love Sancerre. Um, it was definitely one of the wines that I recognized as being so multifaceted. I used to drink it at this restaurant, so I lived in D.C. for a long time, called Mandu, which is a Korean fusion restaurant. Great restaurant. So, so awesome. And I used to get kimchi and Korean tacos and drink Sancerre, which mm. you would think the wine would become completely overwhelmed, but it just holds its own because it has that weight to it and that sweetness that kind of cuts through the amazing spiciness of kimchi. Yeah, um, and, and the crazy vinegar that's happening in that too. I imagine exactly. that's going to complement very, very well. Yeah. Oh, so oh, many nights. Oh, that was so oh, good. <laughs> I miss Mondo. Is that place closed? I think they closed the one on, on um, Columbia. 18th. Mm -hmm. 18th. 18th. Oh my god, I'm not forgetting. It's only been a couple months. 18th Street, but they have a location on K Street. No, it wasn't 18th. It was a. Uh... Yeah, it was 18th. You're right. It was further down. Yeah, that, by S. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we could still be called people who lived in D.C. <laughs> I will admit, when I, whenever I went to Mandu, I was not drinking Sancerre's. I was drinking Soju Teenies. Uh, uh, well, they, were, they had a great happy hour special of Soju Teenies. I just knew the bartender, so that helped with the Sancerre consumption. Hmm. Um, anyway, this wine is pretty stellar, if I may say so myself, and I am stoked to taste the third of the trio. Yeah, I'll be honest, I don't think I've had really any French Pinots outside of Burgundy. Hmm. Um, and I think that includes Rosés. So I have absolutely no idea what to expect from this next one. Excellent. Kevin has the advantage of having been born into a state that thrives on wine, <laughs> being in California. and. Even though we may have gotten to it late, you've had a head start on your wine categorization, so I'm happy this will be something new for both of us. All right, so that last wine is a Christian Salmon Sancerre 2019 
uh, rosé. And I do know also I've had some Christian Salmon Sancerres before. Uh, it's one of the more commonly ones imported into the United States. You can find it at your local grocery store, um, if it's a good grocery store. <laughs> um, but I, I've never seen the, the rosé before. I had to do a little bit of a, a hunt to find it. Um, so let's see. Yay, thank you. In full transparency, this is also uh, between 20 and 25. Sweet. Truly, really actually, isn't super terrible. I would say it's very subdued um, compared yeah. to the, the aroma on that last Sancerre, um, knowing it's a different grape and obviously a very very different wine. Um, it's a lot more a lot more subtle. Absolutely, it it feels like dusk in a way, not only because of the color, which is like this beautiful like dusky rose color but um even the botanicals are a little bit not as citrus forward i guess no. you can call botanical citrus forward but it's not a citrus mix i almost don't smell the citrus at all hmm uh it's a good amount of sweetness to it but not you know overwhelming by any means pretty Standard for a, a rosé, I would say. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say that it's... You could taste the heaviness of the wine. Mm -hmm. It sits on your tongue and actually lingers a lot more than the other Sancerres as well, like mm -hmm. the finish. I I guess it has high acidity because mm -hmm. I am salivating a bit even yeah. after the sip is way gone. It's almost got a, a tannin thing going on where it's really just sticking to the sides of my mouth. Mm -hmm. um, quite a bit yeah um it still it still drinks really nice and easy and crisp and refreshing like a rosé should mm -hmm. um but it does have a little bit more body and, and and grip to it with this as well this might be the one that's closest to tasting that earth and i use earth rather than minerality because maybe it's because of the feeling of the tannins but Almost at the, the back of my throat, I get this feeling of wet ground, like uh, moist soil. Still, maybe, I don't know, this is me projecting, right? Clayish, but you get a, a cleanness to the soil that you kind of get across the different sunsairs if you were to characterize its feeling, um, but you get that kind of warmth that I usually associate with earth hmm. that like textured warmth um not by any means like a red but mm -hmm. um in lingering sensation while the price is a little bit above my normal see i do i can see this being a really lovely wine to or let me scratch that I typically like very dry rosés mm -hmm. and mostly because I'm still learning to drink wines that are a little bit higher in sugar and have that taste of sweetness to it. But this would be something that I would put on my Rolodex of what rosé that's probably a little bit sweet can I reach to that I'd feel comfortable with because mm -hmm. not a lot of people like dry rosés and want that sweetness. And that is something that I would keep in the back of my mind because it is still capturing that crispness that I love from Sancerre's. 
but with that little bit of weighted sugary or not sugary sorry sweet honey finish mm -hmm. yeah definitely honey oh yeah uh, which was one motif throughout the three wines we've had absolutely let's do some wines of the week all right all right so my my wine of the week is called um it's called the bluffer and it's a 2019 valdigay this comes from the wink online wine club right yes Okay, just making sure. <laughs> um, and Valdigay is uh, a lesser-known um, red grape that I've only ever seen in a couple places here in California, mostly Central Coast, uh, Paso Robles, Santa Barbara, um, that kind of area. And the, the the most I can compare it to, I think, is is Beaujolais. So if you had the the Gamay grape from the Beaujolais region of France, and if you're familiar with that at all, that is a very light-bodied, um, very fruit-forward red grape um, that actually drinks more like a rosé um, than a red wine. And this is basically California's answer to the Gamay grape. I've never seen a Gamay grown in, in California. Maybe it's happening. I don't know. Um, but Valdigay seems to be something that's going to grow better in those coastal, um, foggy, uh, hot, dry climates. And this wine was crazy. Um, it was like nothing I've ever had before. Because it drinks like a rosé, we actually did serve it chilled, but continued to consume it slowly as it warmed up to sort of get... Hmm. There's really no consensus on if these wines should be consumed cold or at room temperature or somewhere in between. So we tried it at all of them, and the most overwhelming notes, both in the nose and the mouth, were these wild flowers and like mm. edible flower notes. And my mom in her garden grows this edible flower we put in salads and things called nasturtiums. And nasturtiums are this weird sort of sweet and spicy edible flower. And that was, even though it's obviously a very like uncommon thing to compare to, kind of like the gooseberry. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was the most accurate description I could get. But in addition to this nasturtium, I got all these sort of weird raw green vegetable notes, like cucumber and raw zucchini were the two ones that stood out to me, which I have absolutely never described a wine as. And as I was describing this to myself and writing this review, it still felt just really wrong and bizarre to be talking about these weird, just raw vegetables. Um, but it was really, really nice. And as mm. it warmed, you get more of the sort of classic cherry, strawberry kinds of more <laughs> understandable red wine notes with it. But yeah, I think everyone who, who was with me who tried it had different opinions. It's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. But if you see a Valdigay out there at your local wine store, I recommend at least trying it because it's, it's like nothing else you've had before. And it's just a really exciting, fun new thing that I keep seeing happening. Excellent. Yeah. That's all. Uh, yeah, I also tasted this wine and it was interesting. All right, so my wine of the week. I am going to hold off on vineyard adventure wines for a bit and kind of go back to this wine I opened also from Wink yesterday evening. Um, it's called The Independent. It's a 2019 white 
wine. Um, it's a Pinot Blanc, which itself is a uh, grape that is a mutation of the Pinot Noir grape, um, which is really interesting to think about and kind of can be grown all over the world, um, notably like Italy, France, California, but this wine is from the Napa Valley region. And so immediately I was struck by two flavor profiles. You got a lot of citrus in this wine, a lot more than I would really expect with a Pinot Blanc, but it was a subtle citrus. So like more like that grapefruit vibe, not like a, a, a Sauvignon Blanc can be, um, but the crispness came from like a grapefruit feel. And then you got a lot of pear, uh, this tart pear feeling. It was actually kind of lovely. Um, and it was a relatively clean finish. Um, the wine didn't really linger too much in the mouth, but it was well balanced and very much better served cold. I opened it when it was a little bit too warm and <laughs> realized that it should sit in the refrigerator a little bit because it just lost the vibrancy a bit. It kind of just became muddled, but once it was nice and cold, um, you really got those citrus notes. You got that pear tone. You got a little bit of um, this, if it's cucumber or just like a little bit of veggie, vegetal freshness. Um, I swear I smelt a little bit of like meadowy grass on the nose, but it wasn't super overwhelming. Um, and a nice, not nearly as heavy as the Sancerre, but a little bit of weight on the tongue. Uh, it was it was nice. Wink has awesome. been like producing nice or sending out, not producing good wines. So we'll talk about it. Yeah, at we'll some also later do a, uh, like a online wine club review. I think for members of three or four cumulatively. Um, and Pinot Blanc is another grape. I think we talked about this before, um, but a really cool, seemingly like trendy thing in California right now to be growing Pinot Blancs. I think everyone's getting really bored with Chardonnays in California. Mm -hmm. um, and so everyone's trying like these new things, Viognier's, uh, but Pinot Blanc's also one I keep seeing more and more. And, you know, they're kind of inconsistent right now um, from the way too sweet range to the way too, I almost want to say like sour, but just... Uh, there was a bit of sourness in it. Weird, not pleasant sour and anything in between. Uh, mm -hmm. But I've had a really good time tasting some of these ones coming out, so I'm really excited to hear that that one. And also try this. I think you did save a little bit. For I me, did. So. I saved a little bit in a to-go carrier bottle. <laughs> you know, because as wine drinkers, we have to have to-go carriers for wine so we can taste all the wines. <laughs> yeah, um, to-go little sampler <laughs> tasting vials. Yes, that's exactly. Oh, vials. Yeah, <laughs> for our science. Um, I do want to do a quick shout-out to the sources that I got all my info from. So all of this was internet research. Thank you, internet. Um, I logged on to um, a couple of sites, Guild Som, which I think was for sommeliers to look at different soil types. Um, I also was looking at this site called vinepair.com, which was awesome. Got really into the science of the different soils. Like I didn't even mention, you know, the differences between soil mixtures like loam um, or alluvium, um, which vine pear really has a, not only a lovely description, um, but really broke down 
what it all meant to the to the actual wine. Um, and I also gathered some info from Wink. They have their own blog and vine to winecircle.com. So thank you everyone who's done work. You are all amazing and <laughs> definitely check out Instagram. We're going to be posting, you know, I have a lovely wheel that demonstrates all the different soil types to post sometime soon. We'll post pictures of the wine. Maybe one day we'll post, you know, us visiting these vineyards on our own. But until then, definitely keep following us. Yeah. Talk to you next time. Yeah. About a mystery. I don't know what we're going to talk about next time. Who knows? Anything. <laughs> Excellent.